Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. How y'all feeling? For real? Y'all okay? It's a new year. You're going to take it by storm, right? Life doesn't stand a chance with you around. Or Elaine, life, nobody stands a chance with you around. That's why we love you. Uh, happy, happy new year. Um, I really do think, uh, I think times like this, you know, people kind of bash New Year's resolutions and that kind of thing, but I do think it's uh, a, new, a new season. I think it's, there's something significant about it, and so I really do believe that for us as a church, um, but also for you, I think it's going to be an, an amazing year. Uh, it's got to be better than the last couple, right? Um, but I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a great year, and so I would, I would just encourage you um, as you move into this new year, realize the significance of it, and be determined, and pray like Good things are coming. Good things are going to happen, whether you see them as good or not, that we have a faithful God who does good things. I want to read a verse to kind of frame my message this morning, and we'll um, kind of go from, go from here. But this is going to kind of frame my main point this morning. Philippians 1, 12 through 13. And this is what it says. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you had a conversation with somebody and you weren't really processing it well in the conversation, but later you look back and you realize that they assumed something that you never even thought about in the conversation? Have you ever had that happen? A couple of years ago, uh, the church that I was, I was working at, we had uh, a training program for, for pastors in small towns. And so what we'd, we would do is we would travel to these different areas and do these little workshops to help pastors reach people in small towns. And so we would fly different parts of the country. We would go out. We would do a workshop or a conference for a couple of days and, and fly back home. One particular time, we were going to this small town in Nebraska. I don't even remember the name of it, but it was in Nebraska. And if you've ever been to Nebraska, not a lot there. Sorry if you're in Nebraska. But we were going to Nebraska, and so we couldn't fly really close to the town that we were headed to, so we f- had to fly into Denver. So we fly into Denver. It's been a long day, a long trip. We rent a car, and we are driving out of Colorado into Nebraska. And if you've ever been to that part of the country, like, it's just flat and straight. And so we're on this road for what seemed like 24 hours headed to Nebraska. I'm driving. I'm not really thinking much about it until I see the blue lights in the rearview mirror. So of course, being a pastor, I said, bless the Lord. I'm going to pull over. Maybe, maybe God has put this police officer here for me to lead him to Jesus. I'm just kidding. I didn't think anything like that. I'm not going to say exactly what I thought because some of y'all wouldn't think very highly of me, but I, I pulled over in a random parking lot, and uh, the police officer gets to the car, as he normally does, and asks me for driver's license and 
I don't even know what we did about registration because it was a rental car. But he, he goes back to his car, runs the plates, runs my driver's license, and he comes back. And he tells, he asks me, he says, are you guys carrying anything out of Colorado? I'm thinking, oh, I've got some luggage. Got, got two people sitting here. But other than that, we, we're not carrying anything out. But, of course, I answered respect. So I said, no, sir. And so he lets us off with a warning. We pull back out. Of course, I'm more aware of my speed at this point. We pull back out. And about 10 minutes later, the, the pastor that I was with and I just start dying laughing. That police officer obviously thought that there was something legal in Colorado that wasn't legal in Nebraska that we, that we were carrying outside of Colorado. I'm like, do we look like traffickers? Right? You know, when, when you don't have all of the facts about something, you can often misunderstand what other people are doing, but especially misunderstand what God is doing, can't you? If, you, if we make assumptions about what somebody's doing or about what God is doing, oftentimes we will miss the true purpose of what we're going through, just like that police officer. Today, for the next few moments, I want to talk from the subject of what is it actually? What is it actually? Look at the person beside you and ask them, what is it actually? Now look at the person to the other side who you obviously don't like as much and say, what is it actually? What is it actually? And I just, I, I, want, I want you to see this morning that oftentimes the things that God does in our lives, we misunderstand and we have questions and clarity issues because we don't have all of the facts. And let's be honest, for some of you this morning, this is good news as you head into a new year because what it feels like you're going through and what it feels like God is doing in your life, if that's what he's doing, you don't want any part of it. Can I just be real? For, for some of you, last year, you, you lost your job, and now you're trying to make some sense of it. For some of you, last year, somebody close to you died, and you still haven't figured out why God would let that happen. And so as you enter into 2022, you have some questions about God. Not questions about who he is necessarily, but questions about, okay, God, if you are good, then what in the world are you doing here and my proposition to you this morning is maybe there's something bigger to the story. Maybe he's doing something bigger than you can see. Maybe what your perception of what God is doing isn't what he is actually doing. Here's something I've noticed on my, during my short time on earth. Is that usually things aren't what we think they are. Usually the problem isn't the real problem. Usually the thing that we see isn't really what's going on. Usually what we see is a symptom of a real problem. Take, for instance, somebody that worries all the time. Any worriers in here? You worry when things are going bad. You worry when things are going good because why aren't they going bad? When you don't have something to worry about, you worry about when the next thing to worry about is coming, and so you're worried. Usually people that worry a lot, the problem isn't the situation that they're actually worrying about, but it's usually built over time and feeling like things never go their way. Or maybe you've tried not to worry in the past and something bad happened, and so now you feel like you have to worry about everything. Take, for instance, somebody with an addiction. The, the thing that they're addicted to isn't the problem, is it? The problem is why they have to turn to a substance in the first place. Somebody with control issues. How I many of you got control issues? Come on. Wow, y'all, y'all, y'all were like, I'm gonna control my everybody's perception of me. I ain't raising my hand. Take, for instance, somebody with control issues. The reason you have control issues isn't 
necessarily because of what you're trying to control right now, but it's the times in the past where things seem to spin out of control and they got too far gone. And so now you feel like you have to control everything else. Usually there's a reason behind what is actually, what's actually happening. And a lot of times when we're struggling with asking God why, and when we're struggling with clarity issues with what God may be doing, the problem isn't the life situation we're facing, but there's something going on that's deeper. Something else has actually hurt us. Something else has actually confused us. Things feel out of control. And so while we ask God the, the questions, he's always doing something bigger than what we can see. And if you're a believer, there's this tension, isn't there? There's this tension. If, if you believe God, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's this tension between what I know about God and what I feel like God is doing in there. Because what I know about God and what I believe about God is I believe God is good. I believe he's got my best interest at heart. I believe he is active in my life. I believe he is full of grace and he is full of love. But the tension is it doesn't feel like it right now. Have you ever been in those situations where, God, I, I, I know what I say I believe, God, I know what the Bible tells me about you, but there's this tension because right now I've got some questions for you. Right now they're not getting healed. Right now the job does feel like a dead-end job. Right now the child's not coming back home. Right now they are sick. And so there's this tension, there's this tension that, we, that, we, that we live in, what we feel about God and what we see by God's activity. Do you remember the story in John 11? of Lazarus. In case you don't know the story, Lazarus is a family friend of Jesus's. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And one day, Mary and Martha, they run up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your, your friend Lazarus, he's, he's really, really, really sick. As a matter of fact, he, he's about to die. And so the Bible says that Jesus actually waits two days before he ever moves to go find Lazarus. On the surface, it seems like Jesus is a pretty bad friend, right? But two days later, Jesus goes to Lazarus. Lazarus is actually dead at the time. Jesus says he's asleep, but he's actually dead at the time. Mary and Martha have to be questioning God, God or Jesus. Why in the world or did you let? This is supposed to be your friend. Why did you let your friend die? And this is what the Bible says in John 11, verse 4. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So they had questions, but Jesus had a deeper meaning for what they were going through. And so in this moment, Jesus does something that none of the people around would have possibly seen seem coming because to them it seemed hopeful he's dead he's gone people don't just wake up once they're dead but they were asking questions meanwhile Jesus had answers and the answer was something that they would have never anticipated and so Jesus stares into this situation and says I know this hurts I know you're worried but I've got something else going on here could it be that the thing that you are facing right now 
the pain that you are facing, the turmoil that you are facing, the tension that you are facing, could it be that this will not end in death, but there is something else actually going on, that God is doing something bigger than you can see and bigger than you can understand right now? Could it be that Jesus is about to roll up on the scene and say, dead man, get up? Could it be? that things are about to change as you move into a new year, that it's not going to be the same old, same old. Don't use that language. Could it be that God is actually working even when it feels like you are having to wait? It's what he does. And so he goes to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, get up. And the Bible says he takes off his grave clothes and becomes a living man again. There was something deeper going on. In Philippians 1, Paul gives what I think is some really good advice when we're in these situations that we're asking God questions. We're having clarity issues with what's going on. The book of Philippians, if you didn't know, is a book that Paul, a guy named Paul, who started the church at Philippi, writes back to the Philippian church. The Philippian church was said to be one of Paul's favorite. They actually supported him financially, just like a pastor, right? They support him financially, so the Philippian church is one of his favorites. And what's interesting about the book of Philippians is if you ask most biblical scholars what the main theme of Philippians is, most would say joy. That joy is kind of like this thread that runs throughout the book. But what's interesting is that Paul is actually writing this book about joy while in prison. So let's try to grasp just for a moment what Paul is going through as he's writing. He's writing this not just behind bars, but he would actually have been chained to a guard. He's actually been arrested for bringing Gentiles or people that weren't Jewish into the temple, something that wasn't necessarily wrong. Paul was just trying to win people to Jesus. He was just trying to help people see Jesus. He was just trying to welcome them in, but he gets arrested, and he's writing this letter while in chains. Isn't it, can't, can't, can't you admit that, like, when you do something wrong, it's easier to understand why you feel like you're being punished? Like, some of you, y'all have, y'all have made some mistakes, right? And there's, you've made mistakes, and you're like, I'm just going to own them to it. That was stupid. I shouldn't have done it. I wasn't thinking. I'm gonna, I'm, I did the crime. I'm going to do the I'm going to do the time. But isn't it frustrating when you feel like you're being punished for doing the right thing? Isn't that where most of your questions in life come in when it comes to God? Like, God, I... I tried to make the right decision. God, I tried to follow you on this. God, I tried to, I tried to follow you with integrity in this. God, I, I tried not to talk about the coworker, and now I'm the one who's getting the ax. God, I, I've tried to do everything right, but yet I still feel like you haven't done what I've asked you to do, and so now I have questions. Isn't that the frustrating part? And what happens when you begin to ask those questions and you feel like you're in the right? You begin to get bitter, right? You get bitter at God. Some of you, that's where you are today. You don't even want to be here. Maybe you don't even want to be watching online. And you're bitter at God because you did what you thought was right and it didn't work out. So you get bitter at God, get bitter at the situation, and then you get bitter at the people that are closest to you because that's what we do as human beings, isn't it? It's the people that are closest to us that always get the brunt of our frustration. That's kind of the situation Paul is in. He's, he's, he's in prison for doing the right thing. He's not bitter 
But he could have been. I would have been. So he's writing, he's writing this, this letter, and I think, he provides, I think he provides some wisdom on what we can do when we have questions about why is God doing what he's doing. And we can see what is it actually. Look at Philippians 1, the verses we just read. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It may not look good. I may have questions. It wasn't what I asked for. It wasn't what I wanted. But what it actually is, is it's something bigger than I could have ever imagined. What it actually is, is it's something different. What it actually is, is it's God's faithfulness, not him turning his back on me. Actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So picture this. I can imagine Paul is chained to this prison guard. He's trying to write these words, and just because Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament doesn't mean Paul was a perfect man. And so in my head, Paul's a little frustrated as as he starts writing this. He's 12 verses in at this point. He's probably a little frustrated. He's probably questioning. He's probably, why in the world did this, did this have to happen? Why am I here? God, I was trying to do the right thing. But he's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's trying to encourage them. And I can imagine that he's writing these words down, and he looks down for just a second, and something catches his eye, and he has a thought. And he looks down, and he thinks, you know what? It looks like I am chained to this guard. But can't you almost hear the tone in the, ver- in the verse? He says, it looks like I am chained to this guard. But no, actually, this guard is chained to me. Actually, no, no, no. What's actually happening is it looks like I am, like I am dead in the water. It looks like things will never change. It looks like I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. It does look like they're going to die. It does look like they're never coming back. It does look like they're going against everything I've taught them. It does look like they'll never accept Jesus. That's what it looks like. But actually, I am in the perfect spot to do what I always wanted to do in the first place. What is it actually? And so Paul has to turn from, from, from sorrow and pain, and all of a sudden it, there's something in his mind that just sparks, and he says, no, I'm not chained to the guard. This fella is chained to me. And he doesn't even realize that God has put me in a place that I never asked for, but is exactly where I need to be. All of a sudden, he has a captive audience for his mission that he would have never had otherwise. When you're in a place you don't understand, ask yourself, what's my role? What's my role? One of the things that frustrates me the most when I get into one of those things where I'm trying to figure out what God is doing, and it doesn't seem like things are getting better, and it feels like I've tried to do everything I could. It seems like I was trying to do the right thing. One of the reasons why I get so distracted and so frustrated is because I forget what the real calling on my life is and the real role that I'm supposed to play. And so what it appears to me like is it appears to me like life is getting harder because I've forgotten what my real purpose in life is. I bet it's part of your frustration too. Maybe... Maybe you feel like you're in a dead-end job, <laughs> and, and you just had to take whatever you could get, right? 
I mean, they let you go last year, and you just had to take whatever you can get. So now you feel like you're in a dead-end job. It's not what you wanted. You, you've, you've never really had a passion for it. And so every day you go to work, and it would be really easy to question God, but what if you didn't look at your responsibility at work, but what if you looked at your true role at work? And so instead of making widgets, or instead of working on an assembly line, or instead of checking out groceries, or instead of waiting on tables, what if you said, what if you looked down and you said, no, I'm not chained to this job, but I have some coworkers who God has put me in position to love and reach. Parent, you're tired of tired of cleaning crayon off the wall. You're tired of trying to keep the house straight. You have two kids, but it sure seems like you have five because they are devils when it comes to what the mess they can make, right? I'm not calling your kids devils. Y'all don't hear me that, although you might have. What if what if, in, what if instead of getting, of getting frustrated and not understanding why I can't get through to their hard head, sorry, personal, what if instead of getting frustrated, what if you looked at the crayon marks on the wall or the messy house and you said, you know what, my role is not to keep a nice house. My role is to love my kids and to teach them and give them a solid foundation for their faith. Do you see how, how, how knowing your role begins to help you not necessarily answer all of the questions, but be okay with having questions? Paul says, I know my role. I am chained to this guard. But what it's actually doing is it's actually serving to advance the gospel, remembering our role and our purpose in life will help us walk through the painful times in life. And if today, if you feel like you're in one of those spots, one of those painful, questioning spots, maybe just ask yourself, no, what is my real purpose here? Like, what does God really have me here for? It's not to torture you. But there's, there's something bigger at work. What, what, what is my role? And Paul is chained to a guard, but it's not just any guard. And if you just read and breeze through this passage, you'll miss this. But he's actually chained to what's called the palace guard. Now, this isn't just a guard of the palace or wherever he is. The palace guard would have been a special guard that was in charge of guarding the emperor. And so, in other words... Paul is obviously high on the list here because they have set him up with one of the most powerful people in this prison. And so Paul is chained to this palace guard. And I can imagine that just like he looks down and sees, no, I'm not chained to them. They're chained to me. I can imagine that he looks down. And as he's writing this, he's smiling because being chained to the palace guard would have meant that he had, the palace guard had more influence would have seen a whole different set of people, would have been around more influential people. And so I, I, I kind of think that this is one of those moments where Satan tried to destroy Paul's message, but what he actually did is he set Paul up better than ever to know his role and to fulfill it. Because he's chained to the palace guard. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, because I'm chained to the palace guard, I'm getting to rub elbows with people I would have never gotten to talk to. I'm reaching people with the gospel that I would have never gotten to meet in person in my normal everyday life. I'm chained to the palace guard. It seems like maximum security, but what it really is is maximum potential. And he says, people are being reached, 
And being chained to the palace guard would have also meant that the believers that were in Philippi would have seen him more and they would have been encouraged because he continues to go on even in the face of such adversity. He's chained to the, he's chained to the palace guard. And so Paul continues to talk about his imprisonment, what it actually means. And he kind of shifts his focus in verse 15. And this is what it says. It says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So it seems like Paul is kind of being schizophrenic and he's changing his subject, but really what he's doing is he's addressing some haters. Y'all got haters? Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. And where's the worship band? Let's get them out here. No, I'm just kidding. Paul is really addressing some haters here, and the haters that he's addressing are there's some preachers in Rome who are trying to spread this, this, this message that Paul's gospel isn't the real gospel, and they're basically trying to keep tally. So, like, I have converted X amount, Paul has converted X amount. And so they're in this constant rivalry, this constant rivalry with, with Paul. And I'm, I bring this out because I, I think in our culture today, we've kind of become the forget-them culture. And I don't think that's right. Like, I don't think you should shut down everybody that disagrees with you. I don't think you should call everybody who questions you a hater. I don't, I don't think you should dismiss the opinions of other people just because they're different than you. I don't think you should cancel them just because they made one wrong move. I'm not suggesting that everyone who disagrees with you is your hater. But what I am suggesting is when you are walking in your role, and you are walking in the purpose that God has given you, some people will hate you. Some people will not like you as you begin to look behind the questions you have and begin to walk in your role. There will be people that come out of the woodwork. Adversity will happen. Doing the right thing doesn't make doing the right thing easy. And so many Christians today have quit living life to please Jesus and to reach people with the gospel because they've gotten a little hate in return. And so Paul addresses these people, and he's like, some of them are, are doing it for the right reason. Some people are preaching for the right reason, but some people are doing it just because they don't like me and they're in competition with me. You will have people that try to compete with you as well when you're doing the right thing. People will hate. People will disagree. It would have been easy for Paul to have just thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm encountering a little resistance. It must not be what God wants. It must be, I just need to quit to get bitter and to ask God more why questions. God, why did you let this happen? God, why are you letting, why are you letting this happen? But instead, Paul continues and he talks about the true heart of the matter. The second question to ask yourself when you're in those questioning situations is, what's my role, but also, what's the reason? And I think sometimes there's some danger in this if you're trying to decide that the reason is just to get what you want. But when you're in a situation where you're questioning God and you're asking God the why questions, you've got to look at the heart of the matter, and that starts with looking at your heart. Because sometimes... The reason why you're disappointed, the reason why you're frustrated, 
the reason why you feel like you never hear from God, the reason you feel like nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Sometimes, one of the reasons you feel like that is because there's a problem in your heart. You got to look at the heart of the matter. Sometimes, it's because you have a sin issue in your life that you haven't dealt with, believer. I'm not talking to to non-believers, but believer, if you have a sin issue in your life that you haven't dealt with, it's going to make you hard towards God. Sometimes it's that you have a forgiveness issue with somebody else. And so you got to start by by looking at, at your own heart. Could the reason why I feel the way I do and I don't feel God and I don't see God working, could it be my heart? Could it be something inside of me? you got to look at your own heart, but you also have to look at the heart of the matter. you got to look below the surface to try to see what God is doing. Because on the surface, it looks like I'm drowning. On the surface, it doesn't look good, but there is something actually happening under, underneath. And, and, and here's what a lot of people get stuck on. They've been hurt. They've had something done wrong against them. And they don't feel like God is doing anything about it. And what do they continue to do? Rather than focus on healing, focus on healing they continue to focus on the hurt. And if you've been hurt by somebody somebody that even claimed to be following God, or you've been hurt by God himself. As long as you continue to look at the hurt, you will always be hurt. But if you can shift your focus just a little bit to look at a bigger reason behind what you're going through, maybe you can begin to heal. If you focus on the hurt, you'll always be hurt. If you can shift your, your, your focus just for a moment to that maybe God is building something inside of me, maybe he can still use this for good. Maybe he can turn something good from these ashes. If you will look down just a little bit to what is it actually, you can begin to heal. And the tragic thing is some people go their entire lives and all they're focused on is hurt. They hurt me. That hurt me. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And instead of seeking God for answers, they pull away from God because they don't see any. Instead of trying to begin to heal the process because of who hurt you 10, 15, 20 years ago and seeking help and seeking counseling and seeking to forgive, they just focus on the hurt and they get so far deep down in it that they never realize that God didn't cause the hurt, but he could use the hurt to help other people. What's my role and what's, what's the reason? Paul kind of concludes this whole inner dialogue in verse 18. And this is, what he, this is what he says, verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? He's saying some preach for good reasons. Some are in competition with me. I have some haters. But he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ has preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. When you're asking these questions, ask yourself, what is your role? What is the reason? And what's my response? What's your response going to be? Paul says, but what, what does it matter? And ever since I've, I've been preparing for this, I've had these, 
these little times where I've had to literally think, but what does it matter? Can I just propose to you, some of you need to put this on your mirror in your bathroom. Some of you need to write it on your forehead. You need to write it on your hand. You need to write the question, but what does it matter? How many of you focus so much on things that don't matter? See, you don't even realize it. But there's maybe 2022, maybe your phrase for 2022 needs to be, but what does it matter? I'm not saying you dismiss sin. I'm not saying you dismiss relationships. I'm not saying you get rid of your goals. But there are some things in life you just need to say, but what does it matter? Because we, we, we get so caught up on the little things, don't we? They said a wrong word to me. They did something wrong. This doesn't look the way I wanted it to look. I don't look the right way in that selfie. They didn't like my post. They didn't comment on my post. They didn't invite me to that party. Some of us just need to say our response needs to be say, but what does it matter? Like, really? What does it matter? We, we, we drove last week. Traffic was awful. I found myself sitting in line on I-26 getting infuriated. Infuriated. There wasn't an accident. People were just being stupid. But I found myself getting infuriated, celebrating the birth of Jesus, trying to go see some family nowhere else to be in that moment but I felt it rising up inside of me and I became infuriated and you know what hit me like a ton of bricks this verse what does it matter isn't there a lot of freedom in that what does it matter so what the kids clothes mismatch what does it matter so what I don't have everything they have what does it matter so what they they they, they said that about me or they said that to me what does it matter Paul says, what does it matter? The gospel, my role, the reason is still being fulfilled. What does it matter? And you would find a lot of freedom if you said, there's some things, they ain't worth my time. Some things, they don't matter. Because you've spent a lot of mental energy. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of using the mental energy, the spiritual energy, the physical energy, trying to make sure everybody likes you, make sure everything's perfect, make sure everybody gets what's coming to them when they hurt you, make sure your life goes according to your plan. Aren't you tired of trying to be the God of your world? What does it matter? And he says, I'm going to rejoice. Will you choose to rejoice even when it doesn't make sense? Will you choose to face the questions? Will you choose to face the pain? Will you choose to face what seems like your own personal hell, will you face it but know that I have a role to play, that God has a bigger reason, 
that all of the little things don't really matter? Will you face it and still at the end of the day rejoice? Rejoice in a God who hasn't lifted his hand from the plan of your life. Rejoice in a God who saved you by the grace of God. Rejoice in a God who, if he never gives you another thing that you want, has already given you more than you ever deserved. Can you look in the face of the questions and rejoice because you are still living and breathing and rejoice because you still have a job to go to and rejoice because your kids can draw on the wall with the crayon and rejoice because you do trust an almighty God who has not stepped foot off of his throne and rejoice because he will always reign supreme on that throne. Will you choose in the face of the questions to respond with rejoicing? What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter if they got the promotion but you were really due one? You still have a job. What does it matter that they hurt you, that they said that? What does it matter? I'm not dismissing your pain. I'm not dismissing your sin. I'm not dismissing your goals. But really, what does it matter? I am okay because I know what really matters at the end of the day is that I am loved by a holy God. That's what it is actually every head bowed and every eye closed. There's people in the room this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus because you've been asking so many questions. Do those questions really matter? You've got to have all of your questions answered before you accept his grace. Well, how does that work? He loves you. He died on a cross to save you from your sins. He lived a perfect life, and then he rose three days later. Some of you, you need to not necessarily ignore the questions, but you need to push through the questions, and you need to pray with me because you need salvation. You need hope. You need peace. You need what really matters. Just say in your heart. Say it out loud. We don't care. We would love that. Say, Jesus, I don't have all my questions answered, but I'm going to trust you. I know I've missed the mark, but I'm tired of trying to do it by myself. I surrender my life to you. Will you forgive me? Thank you that I know you will. I give my life to you. I turn over my life to you. You're not just the savior of my life, but you're the Lord of my life. I'm gonna follow you the best I can. I don't even know what that looks like yet, but I'm gonna find out. God, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice, God, those who couldn't quite make it because of the storm, because of the busy week, God, those watching online, but I also pray for those people in this room this morning. God, that we would move into 2022, not having our questions removed, but seeing a bigger purpose behind them. God, we trust you. And God, every day we put our life, we put our future into your hands. But we know that you're good for it. God, I pray for the people that are on the verge. They're on the verge of either quitting or giving up or quitting on you or quitting on their own life. God, help for them to see what's actually going on. God, I pray for the people struggling with worry as they move into a new year, for the people who are struggling with pain and hurt and bitterness. 
God, that somewhere in the midst of all that, we would actually say, but what does it matter? God, thank you so much for this incredible, incredible church. God, looking across this room, I see so many people who, who try so hard. People that I love so much, but most importantly, people that you love and you would never let out of the grasp of your hand. God, would you remind them of that? Let them feel close to you right now. And God, thank you for the privilege and the honor of teaching your word. Use your spirit. Let it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.